Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, I love you this morning. Thank you for these special days. Thank you for the the 7 a.m. service this morning. God, what you you are doing as you gather your people together under your gospel banner. Father, it was a beautiful moment to talk about your resurrection as the the sun rose up over the horizon and the birds began to to sing while we were there, uh, talking about the new life that you bring. Lord Jesus, thank you for our 9 a.m. service as we walk, continue to walk through your word. Lord Jesus, I pray the same grace you have shown us in our earlier two service, you would show us now. Father, we are your people and we need you. Lord God, there are people in this room that need a miracle. Father, there are people in this room that need healing. There are people in this room that need deliverance this morning. Lord Jesus, we know you didn't just live, you didn't just teach, you didn't just do miracles. You rose conquering death itself. And your gospel is sufficient to meet the needs of your people this morning. So grow us in your gospel. It is in Jesus' name that every Christian said, amen. Amen. Now, really quickly, a little recap. Because Paul this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it's actually the culmination of his first major thought in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to see that this morning. So for those new and just to catch the rest of us up so that we can remember, let's talk about how Paul writes letters to the churches. Basically, every letter Paul writes follows the same format. He always begins with a greeting. Grace and peace. I'm Paul. I'm writing to you. Grace and peace to you in the name of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he always goes into a time of thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that God is working in you. And then he always uh, says a little something about hold fast to the gospel that I proclaim to you. Hold fast to the gospel. Stick with sound doctrine. There's false teachers. There's, there's other teachings out there. Stick with what is sound and true that I taught you about Jesus. And then Paul always goes into, here's what you're doing that's stupid that you need to stop. And then Paul ends every letter with, by the way, Timothy says hi. <laughs> and 1 Corinthians is no different. Paul starts with his typical greeting. He, then he goes into his thanksgiving because he sees the spirit of God on this church. These Corinthians, despite all their flaws. I mean, we're going to go through 10, uh, 13 chapters of here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you're doing wrong. Stop doing this. Stop doing this. Start doing this. But, but, but before we even get to the corrections that Paul gives, he's thankful because he knows they're Christians. He knows they're saints. They're not perfect, but they're covered and sealed by the blood of Jesus called saints in the church. Amen? Amen. Aren't you happy that the Lord calls us, for those of us in Christ, he calls us saints. I know you pinched your kids so hard this morning because they wouldn't get out of bed. I know that you might might have gotten into a fuss with your spouse on the way to church on Easter Sunday morning because they didn't wear the tie that you wanted them to wear. (laughs) We're not perfect people. 
But through the righteousness that comes from the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we are the saints of God this morning. Amen? Paul is thankful that they're the saints of God and that they're holding fast to the gospel. But the real first big issue, here's what you're doing stupid that you need to stop, we found in chapter 1. And the first big problem in the church of Corinth is you are a divided Church, you've, you've caused divisions to happen amongst yourselves. And, and those divisions are coming because you're, you're choosing and you're uh, lifting certain leaders in the church up over other leaders in the church. The divisions were coming because some people were saying, hey, Paul planted this church. He was with us for 18 months. He ate dinner at my house every Friday night. Uh, We love Paul. He's the planner. We choose Paul. Paul's the right guy. We only follow Paul. But then Apollos, this other super preacher, better, uh, evidently a better preacher than even Paul. He had some things wrong, uh, but Priscilla and Aquila sat him down and taught him to focus every sermon that he preached on the lordship and gospel of Jesus Christ. So he became this super preacher there in the church of Corinth. And so others in the church were saying, hey, Paul's gone. This is our guy. Uh, we're, we're only going to follow him and do what he says. And, and all of his opinions are right. But people, well, well, no, Paul, we're going to follow Paul. And then some people in the church were saying, hey, we're going to follow Peter, Cephas. Uh, he's the, he was the leader of the twelve. He's the one who preached two sermons and the church got started in Jerusalem. That's a little ways from us, but we should be following him and, 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 and only listening to him. So divisions began happening in the church. Paul says, there doesn't need to be any divisions in the church. And he says, is Christ divided? Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus is not schizophrenic? That he does does not have personality displacement disorder? That he's not one thing one day and something completely different another day. But he is the consistent God who saves uh, from the beginning of time until the end of time. Amen? So Paul says, Christ is not divided, so that's how I know the problem is you. (laughs) But the problem's not God, the problem is us, we who make up the church, those of us who are still in flesh, who haven't received those glorified, perfect bodies in our resurrection that we know is coming because Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He resurrected, so we're going to resurrect as well, never to die again, Amen? amen? So the problem must be us. And then Paul goes into, and we spent several weeks, and this is so important because as we wrap this up today, we've got to understand what causes the divisions. Paul knows. He contrasts the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. I'm sorry. (laughs) Just can't do it. I think that's about the same spot in first service that came off. He says there's the wisdom of God, there's the power of God, and then there's the wisdom of the world and the power of the world. And what's the difference between the two? And now listen, again, all you, all you once a year Easter's, once a year is not enough. Look at the world in which we live. Constantly we are bombarded in our jobs, in our homes, through our television through our radios, with man's wisdom, man's thoughts, man's opinions. 
And there's something that unifies all the wisdom of the world that relates to all the power of man in the world. The wisdom and power of man is inward. It is selfish. It is self-seeking. Why do you think social media took off the way that it did? Right? There's always been, well, for the last hundred years, there's been this Hollywood culture and this celebrity culture. But now anybody can be a celebrity. And the wisdom of the world says, take those opportunities and capitalize on them. So we've got all the channels of look at me, look at me, look at me. That's the wisdom of the world. My interests, my opinions, my preferences, who I am, my emotions, my feelings, what I want to be. I want to be a unicorn. You have to call me a unicorn. Self, man's wisdom is self-focused. The wisdom of God is completely, man's wisdom takes for himself over and over anything they can grab to bring to themselves, to lift themselves up higher so more people will look at them. First is the wisdom of God, who is, right, the irony is staggering because he's the one who truly is higher above all other things. He's the highest of all. He's creator. Everything else is creation. But is God the spoiled baby that's pounding his fist saying, look at me? No. God leaves all that belongs to him. He's the only one in human history that's truly left a throne that only he was worthy of. To come all the way down to us and to give The wisdom of God, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Christ comes not as a king with a crown and a scepter, although he does have a crown and a scepter, amen. He comes not born in a palace, but born in a manger to a scared virgin teenager and a stepdad that's scratching his head. If it wasn't for the angel, he'd have been gone. It's God... Jesus in flesh who doesn't have a home to lay his head but walks in poverty among the people to serve others. The wisdom of God serves. The wisdom of God gives. And that's how God shows his power. Because look, we're still here. Gospel, after 2,000 years, God's people are still gathering Because God gave and his power is evident in this world through his people, his church, that focus and unify on the person and work of Jesus. Paul contrasts these two things. This is the problem. This is where divisions come from. Instead of giving yourself fully to the wisdom of God displayed in the power of God through Jesus, you got all this wisdom of the world in your head and you're bringing it into the church. That's why there's divisions. That's why you want to elevate men instead of Christ. That's how you got off track. So now we culminate this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. You having a good time so far? Yes. Happy Easter, four points. This is how one should regard us. If you've ever asked yourself the question, what should I think about my pastors, 
And you have five here at four points. And from other churches, if, if you move away and you go to another church, there's a way you should think about the men on stage proclaiming the gospel to you. This is how you should think about them. So you don't, have that, you don't allow that worldly wisdom to come in and you start in your preferences and opinions dividing the church. And isn't it a shame how divided the church is? You know, Pastor Nick last week begged you. He's like, please go home and read John chapter 17 because Jesus has a vision for his church. And that vision is that the church should be one as the Father and I are one. There is no division in Christ. But today, just in our country alone, just charismatic denominations alone, there's over 300 of them. That's not including all the holiness traditions that come out of the Methodist church, all the, the Baptists, other Baptists, First Baptists, Primitive Baptists, Cornhole Baptists. We're so divided. Why? Because people keep bringing the worldly wisdom into the church. And I think we should do it this way. And I think we should do it that way. Well, well this guy agrees with me, so I'm going to follow him and, and build him up. Well, I, this guy agrees with me. He came over to my house the other week, so I'm going I'm to follow him. And, and we're, we're, division, division, division. And so when things come to a head in these divisions, people say, well, I'm just going to take my ball and go home. We're going to go across the street. And we'll start a new church. boo It breaks the heart of God. That's not the way things should be. So how should we regard leaders in the church? First and foremost, as servants. Now let me ask you a question. Do you see a lot of servant leadership in the church in our country where we're from? And by God's grace, I've been on every continent other than Antarctica. And I've been in churches on every continent. And there's not a lot of servant leadership there either. There's a lot of boisterous. There's a lot of look at me. There's a lot of platform. There's a lot of big, beautiful pulpits that people stand behind. You know, we live, social media has affected the church as well. We live in a, everybody's a celebrity. Everybody's an influencer. And it's affected the church. Did you know my staff told me this about a year ago because I'm just not online. Unless I'm traveling and have to book rooms or, or something like that. I'm, just not, I'm not online. They told me there's a website called Preachers with Sneakers. And I thought, what is that? And they said there are people who actually, all these mega churches, celebrity pastors, uh, pictures are taken of them in their pulpits and on their stages. And then they're shown on this website and, and, the, and the, the pulpit becomes a catwalk. And their clothes are dissected and here's where you can get this. And these sneakers are special edition, 1988, blah, 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 blah. You can, you can get them for $3,500 at, at this website. Preachers with sneakers. I said, number one, who came up with that idea? Number two, who put the time and the resources to build a site like that? And number three, who cares? Who is going to this site? But it's the wisdom of the world. It's we got to look the part. We got to dress the part. 
We got to climb the mountain. We got to be king of the hill. We got to be better than the guy over there and better than the guy over here. Celebrity culture has invaded the church. And you know what? We're guilty of lifting men up to where they shouldn't be lifted. Every one of us are guilty of it. We put too much confidence in men. And aren't we always disappointed? Always. Because man is not supposed to be elevated to a godlike status. Because man is not God. There's only one creator. The rest of us are creation, amen? amen? So when you lift a man or a woman up, you're only doing so to the detriment of that person because they will crumble under the weight of the lights that you're shining upon them. It's not good for them. They weren't created for that. How should we see leaders in the church as servants? I don't belong to myself. I belong to the Lord, Pastor Nick belongs to the Lord, Pastor David, Pastor Jeremy. They belong to the Lord, Pastor Ben, Pastor Scott. They belong to the Lord. You didn't save them. God saved them. Which is why you might as well just put a bull ring in our nose or a tag on our ears. Because we do not belong to ourselves. We are servants of the one who has saved us, servants of Christ, go back, yeah, there it is. How would you regard us as servants of Christ? Now listen, praise God we come together like this and we're blessed, amen? We worship together. We're encouraged as we hear one another sing songs to God. We're, we're fed by God's word. But these are byproducts of something else that is happening. Don't see your pastors or your church leaders as servants of you. We don't belong to you. We belong to one greater than you. And if we will keep our eyes on Jesus and focused on him and serving him well, you will be blessed as a result. Amen. Amen. But we belong to, you should regard leaders in the church. This is how we won't get into these divisions and, and choosing certain ones over other ones through the human wisdom that affects our opinions and our preferences. All leaders in the church are servants of Christ first and foremost and stewards of the mysteries of God. Well, mysteries of God, here's the good news, there's no mystery anymore. We have the New Testament. But in the days of the first century church, they had the Old Testament and there was so much mystery surrounded this Messiah. Who is this guy? Who is this seed of woman who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent? Some prophecies say he's going to be called a Nazarene. Some prophecies say he's going to come from the, the house of David. That's Bethlehem. How can he come from two places? Some of the prophecies said he would spend time in, in Africa, in Egypt. How can, there was a lot of mystery. How can one person fill all of, of these prophecies? And then Jesus comes along, fulfilling every one of them, the mystery revealed in Christ. He was of the house of David and born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth and called a Nazarene. But before he was raised in Nazareth, remember Herod killing all the children? His parents had to make a little hiatus, a little U-turn down to Africa where he spent a couple years in Egypt. 
Jesus comes fulfilling all the prophecies. And now God's ministers, the leaders of the church are the uh, servants of Christ and stewards of these mysteries fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfills it all. Well, you need to understand, and you know, some people, they come into a church like ours, and they just, man, you can tell. They got so much of the world in them. This is so foreign. Have you ever walked into like a business meeting of a business that you knew nothing about? And you're sitting there, and they're blah, 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 well, quarter four, and this and that, and uh, you know, our profit lost, they blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, duh. A lot of people walk into our church and they have that kind of experience. Because they, don't, they haven't studied the Bible. They don't, they don't know God's word. We are stewards, not of the wisdom of this world. To make people feel more comfortable in the wisdom of this world. We are stewards of what God... God is the one who writes the mail. Just think of me as a mailman with my bag of letters from God, and it is my job to steward what he has done. I'm just the manager that he's put in place. He gives me his word. My job is to deliver the mail. It's not to open it, proof correct it, make sure it's PC, politically correct. Oh, God shouldn't have said that. He should have, that's going to offend this group of people. Well, let's erase that. It's not a Ronco Bible. You remember that? Ronco, you don't like it, just erase it. You can fill it in however it goes. God, how should you regard pastors? Servants. Not CEOs. That's not what it says. Servants of God and stewards. It's not their message. That's why Paul says throughout his letters, this is not my message. Christ gave this to me and now I give it to you. We are stewards. If you ever walk into a church and a Bible's not open and someone's not proclaiming. They're not stewarding well what they've been given. Stewards don't write messages. They deliver messages. Amen? Now watch this. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. How do we get to the place where we're at? Unfaithful pulpits. Pastors thinking too much of themselves, preaching their own sermons instead of God's words. They're, they've been unfaithful to what God says. And God requires... Why is... Listen, I mean, you guys know, those of you who have been around a long time, we are a bunch of ding-dongs here. Okay? We're not smarter than anybody else. We're not better than anybody else. We're not better looking than anybody else. So why is God doing what he's doing? How many of you were at Good Friday? Dude, I almost came out of my skin at the end of that service. Ryan's up here wiping his eyes. Because God's people, man, you could just, you could just sense it. God's people coming together, hungry Friday night. We don't care. We want to be here. We want to worship God. It was special. It was, it was revival stuff. Why, why are we experiencing that here? Faithfulness. We're not better than anybody, but we're faithful stewards of what God says. Let me let you in on a little secret. 
I am just like you. Here's what I mean by that. I hate giving people news they don't want to hear. I mean, there's a reason there are sayings called shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger. People don't like getting bad news, and people don't like giving bad news. Just like all you, I'm I'm not going to let you out of this one, one year, one Sunday people. I don't, I want you to like me. I like it when people like me. I like when people say, that Brent, he's a, he's a good guy. He's funny. So that makes me happy. But it's impossible to be faithful to God's word and make everyone happy. You need to be at church more than one Sunday a year. It just shows that you don't understand the importance and the purpose of the gospel of God working through his church as the visible temple, the body of Christ in the world. You just don't understand that it's impossible to be a New Testament Christian without being part of the church. You can't fulfill all the one another verses, love one another, spur one another on towards good work, fan the flame. You can't do any of that alone. Church needs you and you need the church. And my dad taught me that. Everybody needs the church and the church needs everybody. I, don't, I can't, you said that probably a hundred thousand times to me growing up. Because before I loved Jesus, I hated the church. <laughs> I hate giving people bad news. I hate it when the struggling teenager comes in. And says, you know, I, I think I'm gay. Is that okay? Will God be okay with that? Man, my heart goes out. Because they're struggling and I want to help. But the only way I can help is to show true love. You know, the worldly wisdom, love is complete support of every tacit emotion or whim anybody ever has. You just tell them it's okay, you do whatever you want, you be you. That is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. It's not about you. And, you know, I, and, and as soon as I say that, people are like, oh, that's a, that church is full of hate speech and xenophobes and transphobes and blah, 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 blah. I think even the L's, the G's, and the B's are transphobes now. They're trying to get rid of the T's. They are. I just read an article this past week. We got to get rid of these T's. They've gone too far. But look, we love everybody here. I love you. But at the same time, I got to be faithful to what God says. I can't tell you everything you think is true. I can't tell you every way you feel is okay. Because what God calls sin, we have to call sin and call people to repentance. There can be no salvation without repentance of sin. 
We got to come to God and say, you're right and we're wrong. Your thoughts are pure and holy. My thoughts are full of sin and proper motivation, improper motivations. How will they know if there's not a preacher? Not just any preacher, but a preacher who is faithful. Which is why, and I hope none of you move away, but if you ever move away, I hope you've been here long enough to know this. That if you walk into a church and the Bible's not open, that's not good stewardship and that's not faithfulness. Find another church. We need God's word. We need his ways, not our own. Look where our ways are getting us. Are we better? Or are these the darkest days? I mean, I'm 48 years old. I've never seen days as dark as this, as perverse as this, as mentally ill as this. People have lost their minds. We're not evolving. We're devolving into animal-like status. You're a good man. But let me preach this sermon, okay? I spent 20 hours on this. Let me talk. (laughs) We need God's word. And we need men and women, Christians, to be faithful stewards of that word. And that's, that's the only way you should regard preachers in a church. But with me, verse three, whoo, we got a long way to go. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you, or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, let's talk about what Paul is not saying here first, because this will help me not have to answer a lot of emails later. Is Paul saying that no leader of a church should ever be judged by the church or be judged by a human court. No, we know from the rest of Scripture there are ways leaders in the church can disqualify themselves and the church should hold leaders accountable. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is also not saying that Christians shouldn't uh, be subject to human courts. We know that anyone who breaks the law of the land is subject to the courts of the land in those cases. Paul is not saying if I go out and murder someone that I shouldn't be held accountable by a court of law. That's not what he's saying. So what is he talking about? The worldly wisdom and the worldly judgment through that wisdom that people bring into the church to divide the church against her leaders. Paul says it's not a big deal if somebody says, hey, Paul shouldn't have worn that. That's not Sunday best. Hey, Paul shouldn't have made that joke. That joke was in poor taste. Which, by the way, Paul jokes, and you're going to hear some scathing satire in a moment if we can get there. Paul's like, I I don't even submit myself. I don't even think about your human judgments through your worldly wisdom of me as a leader of God's church. He said, I don't even judge myself. Because I know what I'm trying to teach you. We all, in our opinions and in our preferences, get it wrong. Some of us may get it right a couple of times, this time or that time. But all of us get lots of stuff more wrong than we get it right. So I don't, I don't, I don't hear that kind of judgment in the church. I don't even judge myself through that lens. And it's not that, and Paul is at a, at a moment in his life 
where he, he doesn't see anything scathing in his life. He doesn't think he's, he's committing any sins. But he said, just because I feel good about myself right now, that doesn't mean I'm acquitted. Doesn't mean I'm as innocent as I think I am. Here's the reality of this. There are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. This is going to move us into motivations of the heart here in a moment. When you, see, when you hear commission, think of sins we commit. Omission, sins we omit. Paul's like, I, don't, I can't think of any sin that I've committed right now, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent because I could be doing some stuff that I don't even know is sinful that God hasn't revealed to me yet. You know, sometimes it takes years of studying God's word before you look in the mirror and go, oh, that's how I am. God, forgive me of that sin I never even knew I was committing. Sin of omission. Our judgments are fallible, which is why we should not trust in them. Isn't it true? We all love to be the armchair quarterback. I never played football growing up. Played soccer, played baseball, never played football. But guess what? I am an expert at football now. <laughs> he was open. What? 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 What's going on here, guys? Come on. We all love to coach from the armchair when we're not really doing anything. We're not out there sweating and bleeding and doing the work. We didn't watch. 20 hours of film. We didn't go through the, the brutal practices and up early in the moors. And we sit in our chairs and we're like, ah, you should have done that. Should have ran that place. That guy was wide open. It's easy to sit back and to judge. Paul says, keep the worldly wisdom and the opinions out of this. There's a way to do this the right way. The Lord is a judge. And in his judgments, he always gets it right. He's never wrong. Watch. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. What is the time? Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Sometimes we're doing good things, but can't see the evil that lurks within us. And this is scary stuff. Because some of you are here to check that box. I'm a good person. I went to church on Easter. Okay, I'll come back on Christmas Eve, but don't ask any more of me. We do good things. But we've read Matthew chapter 6. We know about the scribes and the Pharisees. In Jesus' great sermon on the mount, did you know you can do the right things for the wrong reasons? That's why it causes a lot of division in the church as we're judging whether somebody did it from the right heart or the right motive. It's not for you to decide. God will decide that in his time and he's going to get it right because he knows the secret things of the heart. Which is why Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, he came preaching and proclaiming and all those dolled up and fancy with all their stuff, they're doing everything right. They're the respected people in the community. Jesus starts wearing them out and they're like, what? Why loose your venom on me, Lord? Look at us. We're doing it all right. Did you not see the alms? Did you not see all the money that I gave to all the poor people this morning at the, at the time of almsgiving? Did you not see how many uh, denarius I gave away? 
Jesus says, yeah, I saw it. Everybody saw it. Because that's what you really wanted. You don't care anything about the poor. You are, in your worldly wisdom, building yourself up. Look at me. Look how generous I am. You're elevating your own platform so people will think you're such a great person. See, God, see, we can't see. So we need to keep our mouth shut. But God sees everything. And on the day of the Lord, it will, every motivation of our hearts will be laid out before all. Man, if that's not, if that's not conviction to ask God's spirit to help you live right, then I can't help you. Because everybody's going to see the deep, secret wickedness of our hearts. Pharisees would say, Okay, well, forget the giving. I mean, look, we're required to fast once. We fast twice a week. We go the extra mile. We do double duty. We're doing good stuff. Give us a break. Jesus said, oh, yeah, we see you're fasting too. Because you walk around like a dying animal. Oh, whoa, it's me. This holiness is so hard. Okay, well, what about our prayers? I mean, all the long sentences and prose and poetry that pours from our lips as we pray to God in the synagogues and in the temple. Surely these these eloquent long prayers that we pray mean something. I mean, it means we're deep and spiritual people who have spent a lot of time. Jesus says, yeah, that's for show too. You're hypocrites, you're actors on a stage. You're doing the right things. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. So people will think you're such great spiritual people. God will reveal, as he did to the scribes and Pharisees, to us on that day. Well, Brent, I think I know some things right now about some people in this church, about some leaders in this church. Let me just... I quote Matthew 6 and tell some people off right now. Only the Lord judges rightly. Only the Lord sees the secret things. And the disciples were the same way. The disciples said, Jesus, let us go out. And all these people that aren't really following, let us pull them out of the crowd. And Jesus said, no, wait, there's a day coming for that. But right now, let the wheat and the tares grow together. We are not man's judge. God is judge of all man. Amen? Amen. Verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos. For we've been modeling this to you. Don't look at us. Look to Jesus. Don't look at what's going on here. Look to Jesus. Jesus unifies. Worldly wisdom through preference and opinion always divide. And Jesus wants us unified. Jesus wants us one. As he and the Father are one, we've got to get over ourselves. Paul says, I modeled this. Apollos has modeled this for you, for your benefit. And again, brothers, you're part of the family, but you've got to get this right. You've got to get it right. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. You know, when I was a young pastor, I got this little church. Just a few older people there. It was an old dying church. And I thought, young me, woo, I'm going to go in here. We're going to take this thing and turn it around. And we're going to reach the neighborhood. Because I love Jesus and I believe he can do that stuff, right? 
So I went in there, and it was a sad little church. It had wood pews, no comfort, no cushion, just hard, old-school wood pews. They had a little, uh, you remember the project, uh, what do they call those, overhead projectors? You remember those? That was for the worship. They'd play a CD. They didn't even have a worship team. They just played a disc, and they'd put the words up for people to sing. And, and I just thought, man, this is, this is, I just stepped through a time warp to 1972. I got to do something about this. So with my own money, I went to Staples, and I bought one of those little Dell $1,200 projectors, and I got a screen, and I put it up in the church, and one of the guys came in, and it was just me, and I was still setting it up. He walks in, and he said, God ain't in that screen. And I, I mean, I was young. I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, of course God's not in that screen. <laughs> but to him, it was just he'd never seen anything like that. And to him, it was crazy and it was satanic and it was bringing Hollywood into the I don't know what he thought. And so, yeah, I mean, I was just trying to make things better and more easy for worship and, and for singing. But look, what's happening in situations like that? Our human wisdom, our human experience, our preferences, our ideas that don't come from the Word. Stick to what is written. Brit tells too many jokes. We shouldn't have fun in church. Nobody should smile in church. Stick. You can't find a verse for that. Stick to the word. Don't go beyond what is written. When you go beyond what is written, oh, the divisions, in they come. And people take their balls and they go home. I've been here for 15 years. We planted this church in 2008. I was here a year before that building a core group in my living room. Do you know what it's taken to stay 15 years in one church? How many of you have been in a church 15 years or more? Raise your hand. Probably only a few of you can raise your hand here. Because <laughs> that's how old we are. It's hard to stay in relationship with people for that amount of time. It's going to take work. It's going to take eyes on Jesus. It's going to take laying preferences aside, true self-denial, not building ourselves up, but, but loving and empathizing and serving other people together, moving our eyes towards the gospel. There is growth and change that can only happen. Because, again, what do most of us do when somebody disagrees with us? We get mad, we get puffy, we get bitter, we become unforgiving, and we leave, and, and we stay in bitterness, and bitterness grows, and bitterness affects every relationship from there on out. That's why most people leave churches about every two years. Do you know the average stay of a pastor in a church is just three and a half years? Because people don't want to grow past their comfortable spaces. But God calls us to stop doing the stupid things and to grow and become more Christ-like, more giving, more others-focused as we serve Him and stay faithful to His Word. We've got to grow. Paul says, I was a model of this to you. Don't go beyond. It's fine if you don't think we should have Easter eggs. It's fine. But we're still going to give little kids candy at Easter. Actually, three weeks before Easter, just so we don't offend. See, we can grow on both sides. 
put a suit on for you today. I don't like suits. I feel like a monkey. <laughs> Got to grow. And let me just say this, and I, I probably shouldn't, but I got to get to the gospel point. But the men who serve you as leaders in this church right now have grown. They have bent over backwards to serve. They have loved people beyond normal. I mean, it's God's grace. How they have looked at themselves in the mirror, how they have repented of sin and grown in order to be better servants of Christ, as we all should. Dads in the, in the homes, you're the leader of your home, man. You might not like those verses, but the responsibility is on your shoulders. Grow. Don't be proud. Don't be egotistical. Don't, it's my way or the highway. That's not good leadership. Learn, grow, learn how to communicate, learn how to love, learn how to, to, to come alongside. Gotta grow, we gotta get better. This is sanctification. It's what God calls us to. Wisdom of God, self-denial, giving away, not taking for ourselves. I'm man, listen to me. Don't go beyond what is written. That none of you may be, because what happens when we do? We get puffed up in favor of one against another. We bring the divisions into the church. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Here's where Paul goes, by the way, in all this judgment and bringing division to church, who are you? Who, right? Don't you love those SNL skits? What, you think you're better than me? Right? Who do we think we are? We don't have anything good that has not been given to us by the, the true Father who only gives good things. Everything we have is a gift. Everything we have is grace, including salvation. When you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, go back real quick with me. Look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you. Do you remember when you first got saved? Man, when God saved me, I was on fire. I went to my church. What can I do? I'm ready. I'm the Lord's man. They looked at me like, uh, you can cut the grass. <laughs> I had nothing else to I mean, I was a ding dong, capital D. But I did what I could in those days. And God began to grow me in my service to him. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When we stand before God, we boast in nothing but what he has given us. This is the gospel. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. And doggone it, people don't like us. But God loved and God gave and has given us everything we have. Salvation, our families, our church, health. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
our righteousness, our sanctification. See, if you're hearing this sermon right now and you're like, I want to change, that's a gift from God. Normal people aren't like that. Normal people are like, I need to change and become better so I can reach more people for Christ. Normal people don't think that way. Normal people say, you do it my way or get out of here. That's the gift of God. Our sanctification, our redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We've got nothing to boast in except the Lord. Who do we think we are? Walking around nitpicking and trying to take the the speck out of everybody's eye while ignoring the plank that is in ours. We divide. Don't you remember what Pastor Nick preached from chapter 3? You destroy the church, God destroys you. How would you want to destroy what God is doing by nitpicking via your preferences and your opinions? The wisdom of the world. we got to change. Oh, look, Ephesians 2, really quick. You're the last service, so (laughs) you're stuck. Sorry. (laughs) For by grace, everything is grace. All is grace. Once grace, always grace. God saved us by his grace. We're going to stand before him in his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Look at verse 9. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Where does unity in the church come from? It comes from keeping our eyes where our eyes belong. On King Jesus. God who became flesh. Every one of us, we have fallen, we have failed, we have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. But Jesus comes, leaves the 99, comes all the way to us, puts us on his shoulders and brings us back into the flock. He lived the perfect life we have not. He died in our place for our, he took the wrath of God. That cross is him taking the punishment that you deserved. And it is grace that we can look to Christ and say, forgive me of my sins and receive that forgiveness and receive that redemption and receive the sanctification that comes along with it to now follow Christ in our lives. This is the gospel. We need Jesus. He does not need us. Now watch this. I'm two minutes past, but you've got to hear this. This is awesome. Because Paul, he's got the knife. It's in there. And now he goes. This is, this is listen, this is awesome. And I'm just going to read 8 through 13. This is all one lengthy piece of satire. This is an SNL skit right here. (laughs) Satire is when a speaker or a writer will use irony and sarcasm to show people how ridiculous they are being. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. 
To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul says, you guys are so awesome and we're just scuba lung. Philippians 3. Here's what Paul's saying. He was like, man, I have spent decade. Christ knocked me off a horse. I spent a decade learning the gospel, preaching the gospel. Uh, I spent a decade raising money so I could come. I even worked a job when I planted this church in Corinth. It has been blood, sweat, and tears as I have prayed for you when you're sick, as I have loved you, as I have studied for hours upon hours to proclaim the gospel. If only I had known you already had all the answers. How many parents are in here? Isn't it just a stinging sword when your 16-year-old has all the answers? And you're just like, you little, you don't know anything you're talking about. You ain't never done nothing. That's Paul right here. Why have I been imprisoned and beaten and stoned and left for dead when you already knew everything? I mean, they shouldn't have sang that song. These lights are too bright. It's too loud in here. If only we knew you had all the answers. I wouldn't have to spend 20 hours this week. Here's the point. Why would Paul twist that knife? It's not to destroy. It's to build up. It's not for devastation. It's for sanctification. Look at verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. I don't write these things to condemn, but for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to bring unity back to the church that is divided, to admonish you as my dearly beloved children. Over the next several weeks, we will talk about what accountability discipline looks like in the church. But hear me as I close. Thank you for the extra six minutes. I just, I just want to remind you, I mean, you have heard a sermon about not only who pastors are, but who we are as God's people. We don't belong to ourselves. We're servants of Christ. We are stewards, moms, dads, leaders in the church, employers, employees. We don't work for people. We work as unto the Lord, Colossians says. Everything we do, we are his servants and stewards called to faithfulness. Disciples don't preach their own message. They follow their rabbi and they they repeat what he says. Jesus is our high priest. We got to be faithful to his message of sin and repentance and salvation through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so... I remind you of the story of Joshua. Joshua, famous speech that he makes. Remember, he makes it at the end of his life. After he has 
had the sword in his hand and the blood on his face and the sweat pouring down as he's led a nation in conquest of a land promised as their inheritance. They finally get in there and the enemy is dispelled and they finally get what God has promised. They've been fighting so hard, so long for. That's when Joshua says this. As a gray-haired man, at the end of his life, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. I challenge you this morning. You Easter onlys, come back next week. Make the decision. The world's in darkness. The light has to be shown. God uses the church as the steward of his message. Lock arms with us. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Amen.